You're listening to The Wedding Whisperer with Sarah Burton of Simply Love Studio in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm here today with Nick Ratliff from Nick Ratliff Realty Team, and we are at EMB Lenders recording this podcast. So thankful to them for letting us use their studio today. And I brought Nick in today because I wanted to talk about the home buying process. Many times when I meet with couples, we talk about all the things that they're doing in the wedding planning process. And then we start talking about budget and they're like, well, actually, we're, we're, we're going to buy a home, too. And so that comes into the budget a lot and into the planning process. And so because that happened so much, um, Nick joined the studio probably almost 10 years ago now. And I'm excited to have him today on the podcast. So, Nick, thank you for joining me. Tell me a little bit about your background in Realty. Believe it or not, today is my 19th year anniversary. Wow. Right? Um, something you didn't even know. I did not. Yeah. So, today is 19 years. So, I've been doing it since I was 24 years old. So, yes, I'm 43. Um, but, uh, you know, we, it's, it's one of those passions I had. I actually grew up wanting to be an architect and found out God did not gift me with those skill sets and went into engineering and got my MBA and focused through all that and kind of went through all that stuff and ended up, I was I still was building homes because I um, come from a family of builders. You know, one of them helped me do a spec home and kind of walk through that. So I've actually built eight spec homes in my, you know, early in my career. And um, while I was doing that, I just got my real estate license just to honestly kind of go along with building was the original plan and when the market crashed you know i kind of got looking at stuff and i'm like man i'd rather just help people there's just more involvement there's more of the positive than the negative versus building it's just like hiccup after hiccup versus you know i get to work with people get to know people get to you know watch them live the american dream a lot of times absolutely and so one of the things i talk about is with Simply Love Studio preferred vendors, no one is a preferred vendor that I would not use personally. And so I have actually worked with Nick on buying two homes and selling one. So I have worked with him personally. I've worked with his team twice in about seven years now. And Nick, I want you to tell, before we really even dive into the home buying process, talk a little bit about the local market. I know we hear a lot about how things were in 2020, 2021. How are things now in 2023? Is it even possible to find a home now? So it is possible, but it is tricky. In the 19 years I've been doing it, this is the lowest inventory we've ever seen in Lexington. It makes it very challenging. And first-time home buyers, just being honest, you got to go in with kind of a realization of things are going to be a little tricky. Like, you don't have time to sit around and think about stuff. You don't have time to overanalyze. And it's why it's so important that you know we meet with people early and get their ducks in a row so that they have time to think about it before they're in that situation and that's why we're so big on education and stuff because i mean if you're looking under three hundred thousand, i mean there's just zero inventory i mean it's just none so all those homes are hitting the market and really getting driven that mid section of the market that four to six range in lexington is actually the one where you'll see a little bit of inventory because one ball home specifically you know that that's where a lot of their stuff falls is that 350 to 500 range and 550 and well 
with the pandemic, they had to put everything on hold. They didn't build spec homes during COVID, right? Because they didn't know if they could get lumber. They couldn't get anything. And we had clients that were building and, you know, we had a six month delay once because a bathtub got stolen. Wow. I mean, it's a true story. Like a tub literally got stolen out of the garage and to replace it took them six months. So they couldn't, it was a master bathtub. Like you couldn't just throw something else in there. Like it was, it was just a big headache. So they struggled to build any inventory or do anything during those times. Well, once they started getting the ability to do it, the rates started changing. Right. So let's talk about, or think through, you know, if, if you're in a house, let's just say you're in a $250,000 house, you have a 3.25% interest rate. Well, now you're like, all right, I need an extra bedroom. I need a little more space. I want to be in this school district, whatever it may be. You're going to move up very likely into that four to five range. That's kind of a natural progression for a lot of people. And you went from having, you know, a payment based on probably 200 because when you bought it, it was worth it was way cheaper than 250, right? So your payment's based on even less. Yes, you have $50,000 equity that you're gonna put down, but your payment's still way down here. Now your payment is based on double the loan amount or the interest rates double. So it's actually maybe even more, right? So it's just one of those things that I think there's a mental block in the market right now to where it's just hard to swallow that pill. So a lot of our clients are actually just keeping that other property, right? So as soon as they're able to qualify for the new one, they'll keep that other property because you'll never buy investment property at 3% ever. I mean, I don't know the future, but (laughs) that's not, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Absolutely. Since we have low inventory and very few are under the 300 range, what would you actually say like the first time if they're first time home buyers they're getting married they're in their probably middle to late 20s and it's their first home what do you say the average cost that a couple would spend on their first home in that age range it varies a lot you know it used to be i mean when we got in this you know your your first time home buyers were 100 to 200 uh, you know pretty consistently and people are buying so much later in life right so They'll go and they'll get, I mean, the jobs that people are getting out of college now are paying sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000, right? Yes, the cost of everything's gone up, but they're, they're the ones who's actually getting the income, right? Um, so when you're making $80,000 a year and you don't have a lot of debt, you can afford quite a big house. Now, it doesn't mean it's a smart thing to do, but... It is potentially an option, right? So we're seeing first-time home buyers; they might be buying in the two fifty to four okay. range now. You know, so it's not unusual to see, have a first-time home buyer that's buying three fifty to four hundred. You know, it's you're probably that two to four. It's just a bigger range. Before we even talk about more numbers, let's talk about the benefits of working with a realtor. If um, someone has graduated college, they've been living in an apartment. Maybe they're getting ready to buy a first home together. They've never worked with a realtor. They know what a realtor does, but they don't really know the benefits of it. Share a little bit about that. You know, I I think the best way I can explain it is to tell you what my wife has told me is her experience. And I don't think I've ever shared this with you, Sarah. But so my wife bought her first house, you know, after she'd got a job in nursing and, you know, she was doing fine. She bought her very first house and it was from a family friend. And 
you know, went through everything. And she, you know, had a family member that was helping her and trying to do things who was, I mean, he's very intelligent and knows the things, but she just felt she still, you know, like somewhat unguided, right? Like she didn't know who does inspections? What inspections do I do? You know, what do I expect at it? What's normal? What's not normal? And it's a wide range, right? So like I used to build homes. So there's a lot of things on home inspections that don't bother me at all. But I have to remove that because what I'm comfortable with is not what Sarah's comfortable with, right? So I have to know not really what's acceptable for Nick is as a realtor, I should know what's acceptable for an average transaction of a home of that age or whatever's been disclosed to us, right? And then I can tell you, well, Sarah, that's just typical home maintenance. It's something you're going to have to, you know, expect to do or whatever. And we should have had that conversation before we get to the inspection, right? But that's one of those little ones. And even on the selling side, you know, that's one thing that when people are selling, we've had, you know, friends who decided to do for sale by owner and they gave away ten dollars or $15,000 on an inspection. And it was like, why'd you give them that? Well, they asked for it. I was like, you let's they gave away more than our commission would have been like we could have made the process all easy and they would have actually saved money and on the buying side it's similar right and so for my wife one of the worst situations was the lender so she went with a bigger bank because she was you know i'd always bank there or whatever and she told me like at the closing table she literally got bullied to sign paperwork because there was a an outstanding lien that had not been cleared. It was probably one of those things that wasn't a big deal, but she was trying to get a hold of her dad and the lender literally walked outside and said, I don't care if you talk to your dad or not, you need to get back in there and sign paperwork. Okay. Trust me. If, if I had been around even remotely close to that, that guy would have been out of the business and she couldn't even tell you who it is. But that as a single female, like that was her experience and that breaks our heart. Like who wants to buy a house and go through that? That's not enjoyable. The benefit of working with a realtor is to have someone advocating for you. And to know the things that you don't know, kind of like working with a wedding planner. And yeah. there's so often <laughs> there are times where I'm like, if you had have had a planner, you would have saved so much money, mm -hmm. you know, that it would have paid for the planner. So it's kind yeah. of the same situation. And you don't know yeah. until you don't have it. Well, so. And I've been around you. I've known you yeah. for years. And you just met with my nephew, right? Like my nephew and them came into you and met. It was because they were like, well, we're doing this. We're, you know, starting planning this and that. We're not going to get a wedding plan. I'm like, well, I don't care if you're, what you're doing. You got to go meet with Sarah. And they're like, uh, you know, kind of, and you know, they went and they, and they were like, oh, she was great. Like it was so, because I know this much about wedding planning, not because I've done it. I've done it once. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it was like, I don't know much about it, even though I'm around it and I, I, follow your stuff. Right. I listen to you. Like that doesn't make me able to do it. Yeah. Right. Because it's the nuances of the transaction of, of the activity that really sets people apart. So talk a little bit about the fees and the cost of working with a realtor and who pays for those. Commission is what, you know, most realtors work on. There is no standard. I always kind of hear that everything's negotiable. So a lot of realtors don't like to admit that because they like to kind of assume, but you know, we know the value we have, and it's our job to present that to people. And the way that we do real estate is different than the way that most agents do real estate. So it's always of explaining that. And 
if you're picking a realtor, you need to understand what they do that's different than other people. Like technology has come so far. And one reason a lot of people don't use agents is because it's so easy to search for homes now. You're always on there searching. Guarantee it. I know you, right? Like it's just because it's kind of gotten to where it's just fun to look at homes, right? And so people will get on there and they're not even meaning to buy homes and they see one and they're like, this is so cute. I want to buy it. And then they emotionally respond and make impulse decisions on stuff versus being led through a transaction and being guided on what to do. It's emotional decision-making, right? So if an agent's doing the right thing, they're going to make you money and do things. So as far as the cost, the way that we normally make money, right? So for buyers, and this is as of today, things may or may not change in the next year or two. Um, There's a lot of stuff we won't go into, but the legal side of it. But right now, if a home is listed on the MLS, right? So if you're most people here still call it Elbar. It's called Bluegrass Realtors now. It is predetermined how much the listing agent is going to pay a buyer's agent for helping them sell the property. Okay. So the buyer rarely comes out of pocket anything for doing it. And we've worked with for sale by owners. And honestly, that's some of some of the best transactions I've had recently. We closed one um, Monday that was essentially for sale by owner. And they're leaving me a review on it was like because we got to work through everything and and do everything so easily and they were more than happy to pay me i like it because you know they knew they didn't have they needed help through stuff um like the the last probably five or six for sub owners haven't even blinked an eye helping you know pay they're just trying to save part of their commission right on the listing side, it's 100% negotiable. It depends price point, depends location, depends all that. Like we don't have, all right, this is what we charge for everything. It, it varies. I don't know. That's very long way to say it. It's negotiable. Okay. So typically the seller is the one that pays all of the commission to the realtor. So the listing agent is hired by the seller, okay. right? And they charge a set fee. And the way that ma- of the time, that listing agent is going to pay the buyer's agent, right, for assistance in doing it. So the seller doesn't necessarily directly pay it, but it's kind of an indirect aspect. Okay. And then are there times where you're the seller's agent and also the buyer's agent? Does that ever happen here? It can. So it is legal in the state of Kentucky. Um, It is one of the reasons I started a team. All right. So... Uh, You've known me for a long time, and I've always really enjoyed internet marketing, and I've tried to stay ahead of other people. But when you do that, you get a lot of people contacting you directly on your listings. I despise dual agency, okay? So one of the examples I can give you is that if if you're going into a business transaction with someone, you're not going to use their attorney to write your portion of the contract, right? Like you're going to want to be represented. And it's the biggest financial decision of your life. You need to be represented, right? So the way that we work on our team is we'll advertise and we'll help people do, and we have team members who can represent them individually. So when I say represent, I think one of the the things that gets glossed over a lot of times is as an agent, I have fiduciary duties to Sarah when, I, when you hired me, right? Anything I learn that benefits you, I have to disclose to you, right? Because I'm looking out for your best interest. Well, when I represent both parties, 
Well, I can't pick and choose, right? So guess what happens is that same information that I learned and used to have to tell Sarah, I no longer can tell Sarah because if it benefits her, it hurts the other person. Well, all of a sudden, I'm not representing Sarah as well as if I had only represented you. So that's why I don't like it. Okay. And I will say whenever I first knew that I wanted to start the home buying process, I sent you an email and I was like, hey, I want to come in and chat. Tell me what I need to do. And you walked me through several pages of paperwork and I literally wrote out beside them how much money I needed for each of those that didn't even have anything to do with the house. It literally had to do with the home buying process. And I was like, okay, well, this is a lot more than I even realized. So what are some of those things that you tell people to have money for before they even start looking at houses? Our favorite process is three to five months before you need to be in a house. Because a lot of times people buying a house, some people think of that as a contract. Some people think of it as closing, moving. When Three to five months before you need to move in, you should be meeting with us to learn the process, right? Whether you've done it before or not, there's a brand new contract locally. You need to learn that. So what we did with you was walk through the contract. And my very first realtor, who's, God rest us, so isn't with us anymore. But I'll never forget, Stan would... One of the things he told me was he thought, he said, the biggest mistake that happens in real estate is the first time buyers see the contract is usually when they're signing it. And I was like, man, that's so true. That's such an insightful aspect, right? Like, and it was just his heart in it. Like he wanted people to understand it. So that's what we like to do, right? Is to walk through the contract. So you have months to dissect it, to ask us questions, to know what you're signing. Because otherwise, you just saw how cute the kitchen was and you just saw how big the backyard is and you're envisioning living there. You do not care what I say or what I put in front of you. It's just reality. It's scary as it can be as an agent because I want you, you're making the decision, not me. I'm not picking your house to buy, but it's just reality. You're so excited that you're like gung-ho, whatever I got to do, just do it. You don't think about the impacts of it all. So, and part of that, as you walk through that contract is these are the steps that are going to occur over the next 30 days, right? Inspections, appraisals, termite inspections, you know. And just what are the deadlines? What are the timelines? What are we looking at? What's it mean to you? And it takes about an hour. And it's, I've never had anybody get up and be like, well, that was a waste of time. Like, or even they're over the top thinking, going, I didn't know what I didn't know. You talked about your wife having the lean on hers and finding that out that day. One of the things that you talked to me about that day or when we did our initial meeting was that was one of the things that you should check on before you move forward. And that was one of the things that we checked on and come to find out my condo did have that on it. So we had to get that fixed and we found that out before we got to closing or before things Mm -hmm. got further down the road. So I learned so much in that initial meeting and realized how much I needed to learn. And I was glad that we had that meeting. Um, And I would recommend anybody have that meeting, just even know how much money they're going to need and when they need to write those checks and just to be prepared. So I think that was probably the most beneficial thing that you did for me was that initial meeting. That's great to hear. And it's the other side of it. The other half of the transaction is you should have a similar meeting with your lender, 
right? So if your lender's only willing to have a phone call with you, I kind of have a problem with that. Like, if they're going to give you the biggest debt that you're ever going to have in your life, they should sit down with you and explain to you any question and answer any questions you have too. So it's one of those, we try to touch on that, but I'm not a mortgage lender. I don't know what you approve for. I don't know what your fees are going to be. And, you know, I can help you understand them once we get that. So that's the other side of it that maybe even since you did it, we've started pushing even more is because a lot of times, well, what we found was we, our goal is to eliminate surprises. Well, if you haven't met your lender and understand that, all those surprises were coming from that side, right? So then that's why we started pushing for that side to get answered too, because we don't want you to have a surprise during it. So do you have specific lenders that you work with or do you have recommendations based on each individual couple? How does lending work for houses? So there's a lot of different products out there. And that's what, you know, we always ask people, you know, their situation, what things are, you know, because there's certain jobs certain professions that get better loans than the average person, right? So if you happen to be in those fields, we may be sending you to a totally different lender, you know, to try to take advantage of those. Wow, Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So it's changed some. It used to get, there used to be some very specific stuff. So nurses and uh, firemen and those, there's a handful of of banks and places who will do, it's kind of a give back. That's incredible. Okay. And, but like doctors, residents, dentists, you know, a lot of those, there's special programs for all those people. And, and a lot of times they're very, I mean, like less money down, no PMI and because they, they realize some people with very high um, educational debt, right? It can throw off a normal mortgage process. But, you know, there's local banks here that are like, well, you're a dentist. You're going to be fine. I know you can pay. Like, the odds are you're you're never going to need for work, right? So they just calculate stuff differently, um, and it makes it easier for the client. And, and I mean, it's, it's not high-risk loans. Those loans, ironically – they're more fa- they seem more favorable but the reality is they know that there's certain professions that the longer you're in there the more you're making right like there's not too many doctors that are making less money than they made 10 years ago so they're able to kind of anticipate some of those things and and work their mortgage appropriately okay And so I did want to talk about some of the scenarios that I see whenever I meet with couples. So there are three that I typically see. And so my question is going to be like, is it better to buy before or after um, the wedding? So I'm going to give you those scenarios. Mm -hmm. The first one is that the couple either doesn't live together now or they live in an apartment and they want to buy during the wedding planning process so that basically once the wedding happens, they live together. The second one is one of them has a house, but they want to sell and buy a house together. Or the last one is they both have a house, but they want to sell both houses and buy a bigger house. So is it better for them to buy before the wedding, after the wedding? Does it matter? Like when should the couple start that process? Okay, so there's a few there's a few different things to consider, right? So if we look at your first scenario where they don't live together. They both have apartments. The, one of the biggest factors there is where, when did the leases end? Because you don't want to necessarily be on the hook for things longer than you need to, or double paying more, you know, payments, and uh, that's all unnecessary. I'm, I was raised by a single mom, so I'm very conscious of 
wasting money. One of the things most people don't realize is there are loan products out there that are income-based, right? They're household income-based. So when before you're married, that's based on one income. The second you're married, they both go together, right? So if you're prepared, now there's you don't just do it for the sake of doing it, right? But if you're prepared, it's very, you know, it could be very strategic for one person, either you know, either person to get approved for a loan and buy before they actually get married because they could qualify for a better loan product. And it, yeah, those are the few times where it's like, I'm okay with you pushing the limits because it's like, you know, a month later your income's doubling or, you know, it's going up significantly from an overall standpoint. Um, so that's one scenario that I think a lot of people miss out on and don't think about. Um, they're like, well, we'll just get married and then we'll go talk to people. It's like, that's why we like to talk to people early, right? Like our advice, like some of the other scenarios, so let's touch on those. Like one of them has a house, but selling it and the other is buying. So that one's probably the trickiest of them all is diving into the one that doesn't have a house. Well, they may be able to qualify for a house on one of those loans, right? And then we sell as soon as you buy, we sell the other one and or as soon as they get married or whatever. So that one's a little more tricky. Like we got to dive into, all right, what are our leases? What are all those timelines? And just try to narrow it down and go, okay, this is the date we're doing all these things, right? Um, the Both of them have homes and they're going to sell them and buy one. It's not always best for my business, but I typically tell people, don't move in the middle of other major life transactions. Like we recently had as multiple, it was a family member of, of one of our best clients and they were about to have a baby. And I was like, and he looked at us and said, did you need to move either in the next 30 days or three months after you have a baby? Like do not move three months before or after because the last thing you want to have is a house under contract. You're trying to pack stuff up and you're in the last 60 to 90 days and because pregnancy is not a time to be stressed the benefits of it do not outweigh that so it's one of those of if you had two to to sell and buy i'm probably doing that one after the wedding okay. personally and i strategically what we would probably recommend is you move into one we prep the other one and i'm we're probably gonna do that with the bigger, more expensive house, whichever one it is. So you move into the smaller one, ironically, right? So that we can make the other one look as good as we possibly can, right? We stage it, we make it look perfect, we get as much money as we can out of it, and then we look at moving into, you know, searching for the new one and, and doing that process. So I want to, I didn't have this on my list of things to talk about, but I actually want to talk about the prepping and the staging because you mentioned that. So Whenever I sold my condo, you came in and we did a walkthrough and you told me all the things I needed to do to prep my house to be photographed. And I was like, man, this is a lot of work. <laughs> it was very detailed down to putting white hand towels in the bathrooms so that people could see themselves there. And because I have black stuff everywhere and getting rid, rid of extra clothing racks, rid of extra TV in a bedroom. So I rented a storage room um, or a storage facility for about two months um, to put extra stuff there. And literally there was a condo that was four or five doors down for me that had been on the market for almost two weeks. And I think mine ended up selling in about 48 hours when theirs took a little over two weeks. 
And honestly, I think it came down to the pictures because mine was much more enticing looking at in pictures. I still use those pictures in some of your marketing. And I look at those pictures and I'm like, man, I kind of miss that. Those are good. And sometimes, like you talked about, I I love looking at Elbar. I love looking at pictures. Or like, if my neighbor's house goes on the market, you bet I go look at it. I want to see what it looks like. And I look at their pictures. I'm like, that's the best they could do for their pictures. And one of the things, um, most people, if you follow me on Instagram, you know I have a dog. And Nick talked about not having any traces of your pet in your house. Mm -hmm. I'm really allergic to cats. And so if I saw something with a cat in a photo... I probably would not look at that house, to be honest, because Mm -hmm. there's going to be cat hair there for, I think, like five to seven years or something. And so I took up all of the dog beds and dog bowls and anything that said dog on it. So you were very thorough in the staging and prep portion of that. I appreciate that. Um, And that's probably the engineering of me coming out. I overanalyze stuff way too much, which is good for my clients, bad for my wife. We spend so much money marketing photos, right, that I want them to be the best possible photos. And I've always taken that mentality. And there's so much psychological psychology to, like, placement of stuff and moving stuff. And I love it. And I'll give you one quick story. Is I had a, a client in town, and uh, I was doing the same thing, walking through, hitting room by room, moving stuff around. And... Me and the husband went into the master room, bedroom, and I, I told him how to position stuff. And he said, hold on just a second. Got his wife, came back in, and goes, can you repeat that for her? And I was like, I am getting set up here. I have no <laughs> clue what's going on, but I'm about to be set up. And I repeated it, and she looked at me, and she goes, did he tell you to say that? And I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And I'm sorry. And she was like, he's been trying to get me to do that forever. And it was like, so they rearrange all the room, do everything. And she calls me like two days later and she says hey my mom lives in danville and she's not selling her house but she wants to know if you'll drive down there and tell her how to arrange her house that's fantastic because it just looked so much better right and because there's psychology behind first impressions Mm -hmm. right when you walk into a room and one of the little tricks that we always tell our sellers is imagine you don't live here walk to a door or entrance of a room look away and go okay i'm a potential home buyer turn around and look and what's the first thing you see is that what you want someone to see when they first walk in a lot of times it's not well let's move it let's manipulate it and do stuff so it's that's the mentality i take and it's like levels as much floor space as you can see makes rooms feel bigger so a bed being closer to the door versus being farther away will shrink a bed in a photo and in in person it just it's the same size room but for some reason our brain just goes oh this is tight all right it's like no it's not you just got to push the bed over and too like when i knew that i was going to be moving from my condo when i started looking there were four houses on the market or on l bar that were within my my budget and so i had four to choose from so i wanted to go look at all of those four and there was one of them i was like i just don't even really want to look at that the pictures aren't that great. That was the one I ended up buying. Mm-hmm. The pictures did not sell it. Um, and when I met the realtor, I was like, yep, those pictures match the realtor. <laughs> I mean, not to say anything bad about her. she It was probably a second job for her. It was probably a hobby for her. 
but it definitely when you are looking to hire a realtor i would probably ask to see some of their previous listings or mm-hmm. photos and stuff because that i almost didn't look at that house and it had been on the market probably two to three weeks whenever i mm-hmm. went to look at it and it was 100 percent because of the pictures mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite things is years after working with people i'll get text messages of screenshots of photos like as soon as I saw that, I said, Nick would never let this one happen. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's exactly what I say when I see photos. Yep. You know, those are things that we appreciate. And yep. as a wedding planner, when I see stuff, I'm like, oh, I can't believe somebody let that happen. How mm-hmm. did that happen? So yep. you mentioned earlier the time frame from the start of buying a pro- the house process mm-hmm. into being in the house is probably the three to five month range. Do you think that's kind of an average for probably like a first-time home-buying couple? Is that kind of what you would recommend somebody plan for? Is that even hard to put a time frame on? Historically, I would have told you, basically, you come in, you meet with us. We're going to spend up to 60 days in looking for a house. We'll get a house. You'll have 30 days to close, give or take. I mean, we can negotiate, you know, um, 25-day closing, we can just negotiate a 60-day closing potentially, right? Like, you just got to make it a win-win for all parties. And then you're moving in. Right now, in this limited inventory, I mean, if you're looking to buy between two and 300, we might get the first house you look at. Or we've got this poor couple right now that we're 10 offers in, right? And unfortunately, it's there's limitations on what they can do financially. And so, I mean, we're searching day, every day for off-market opportunities for them, right? So so one of the keys of for first-time buyers that I will tell you is you have to go in flexible, okay. right? Um, flexibility is the, is the key to winning right now. Let's think about it from a seller standpoint. You have a couple of offers that are pretty similar in price but one is willing to close on the day you want to close on, maybe let you stay for an extra three weeks so that your move is a little bit easier. Those are things that we don't love to do. We don't like post-occupancy, but in this market, it might be the difference in you getting your dream house or not, right? That is wild. Yeah. And it's just, so we're always, the thing my team got really, really good at during COVID because we met every other day through a, Google Meet, and we talked about what are you seeing? What's winning? Why did you lose? You know, and we got really good at talking to other agents and just going, What does your client really need? Right? Of course, everybody wants as much money as possible, but a lot of times they're not willing to move twice. So if I'm willing to wait for them, then that may be worth five to ten thousand dollars for them, right? So sometimes we can save our clients money by finding things that just matter more to the seller. So if you're flexible, there's a whole lot of people out there that would sell you their house if they can find something. That's brilliant. Any last piece of advice for couples looking for a house right now in the Lexington area? I think it's just preparation. Okay. You know, it was like this market is not conducive to being emotional, right? That's great advice. And it's it's really, it's kind of sad because one of the most fun things as a realtor is watching people get really excited. And, you know, it's, we have little tricks and on stuff like 
if you're looking if a home's at the top of your market or your price point you know in the market and let's just say you're approved up to 250 and that's you just cannot go higher than that right and a house comes on the market and it's 245 250 and you or you know anywhere near that price point what we normally tell people is wait till monday get through the weekend because that first weekend our market does have a divide right so if if homes are priced remotely right and are in decent shape they're going to sell in that first week if it goes on tuesday it'll be gone by sunday if it goes on friday it'll still be gone by sunday like that first week is everything the average days on the market in lexington still is over is around 20 or just over 20 days right but that's because of the divide you've got like 60 percent of the homes still sell in the first four days the median's like four but the average will be like 19 or eight or 20. And and that's because you either sell on the first four or you sell on 30. So if you allow people, there's an emotional roller coaster on the listing side also because how hot the market is, they expect it to sell and they expect 80 people to want their house tomorrow, right? Well, if nobody wants their house after two days, they're like, well, what did we do, right? So then if you come in on Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and you're like, hey, look, we'll give you, you know, close to your list price. And we'll still be nice to you and do whatever and we want this to be a win they'll probably go let's do it you got to really think about the emotional roller coasters that are involved in this market and be prepared for them so let's just add some more emotion into the planning process got it Mm -hmm. um nick if a couple is interested in reaching out to you what is the best way for them to contact you you can call our team office it's 859-554-2075 or they can just go directly to our website um the shortest, easiest one is nrrt.com, stands for Nick Ratliff Realty Team. I do have a four-letter domain. I'm very proud of that. It's way easier for emails. They can even email us at nick at nrrt.com. And, um, you know, we'll be happy to respond to any aspect or, you know, just tell Sarah. And Sarah's got my cell phone and talks, you know, can reach me anytime. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks. For more information about Simply Love Studio or to schedule your wedding consultation, go to simplylovestudio.com.